This episode is brought to you in partnership with Magic Madhouse. For all your needs of Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, World of Warcraft, Cardfight Bangwords, repacks, accessories, anything to do with your collectible or trade card games needs, please visit magicmadhouse.co.uk. Free UK delivery on orders over £20 and if you enter the code GMS Tang on your first order, you will get a 10% discount. Mind you, not on special offers, but anything else, do enjoy that discount. Thank you for your support. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Welcome back to the interview room. Now, today I have difficulties in in placing this interview room because I'm not sure if I am in the board game interview room or in the role play interview room um, because the project that I'm going to be discussing with today uh, could be applied to pretty much all of them but um, let's assume the role playing for the time being and and then we'll we'll go from room to room and, and see what happens we are going to be talking today well, by the way I'm I'm Paco Garcia your host. And this is a podcast all about tabletop gaming. And as the name says, we're going to have an interview. In this episode, we are going to be talking to two people from the Hero Forge Kickstarter project, uh, a company, uh, well, Hero Forge Minis, that's gone to Kickstarter now with a project I have been looking forward to seeing coming to life for a very, very long time indeed. But these two gentlemen are going to tell me a great deal more about it. Joshua Bennett and Tegan Morrison, welcome, sirs. How are you two doing? I'm doing fantastic this morning, yeah. Uh, hey, Paco. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. And we've also been looking forward to our project for a long time. <laughs> That's maybe why we're here. <laughs> I, I bet you have. Okay. Um, listeners, although you're going to be hearing and learning about this project as the podcast goes along, I'm just going to say a couple of words about it. And because I'm, I've read the Josh and Tegan talk. It's basically customized 3D printed minis that you choose pose, gender, class, ornaments. They print it for you in 3D and they deliver a beautiful minis. Josh, mm-hmm. Tegan, is that more or less all right? That's so all right that we don't have to say anything else about it. That's <laughs> that's everything you need to as know. Well, I could have said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, in that case... Um, we can elaborate, though. I was, I was teasing a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah. I, so we want to offer you minis, great minis. <laughs> but on top of that, exactly the mini that you want, a mini that no one else has uh, and a mini that conforms to all your all your specifications. And, and we want that service ourselves, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so we, we made it for us. We made it for people who play tabletop role-playing games. People who play war games, hopefully it'll fit into uh, what they want in some ways too. Uh, we're, yeah, we're excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about you guys. What, what is your background that actually took you to decide to make this project? I'll, I'll fill that one to Josh first. Okay. Uh, well, I've kind of been involved in the the indie RPG community for probably three or four years now, and I've primarily been working with um, cartography. I'm doing maps for different worlds, and I've I've done maps for uh, Torn World and Wicked North games and 
tons and tons of little indie publishers as well. Um, but as far as you know, professionally, I've been everything from an English teacher to a project coordinator from here to Hong Kong. So kind of a far spanning career. Okay. Uh, Tegan here has. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I actually started as a web developer. The first money I made uh, doing anything sort of in any semi-professional sense was uh, 16. A friend and I um, took to the wilds of the internet to try to make money. <laughs> Uh, and formed a website design company, um, and we made a bunch of websites for people over a couple of years. Uh, but uh, dealing with clients um, was just a less than pleasant uh, endeavor for the most part. And this is how <laughs> none of them are listening to this podcast because they know who they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and and uh, I, my real kind of passions, my real love, lied uh, in video games. So. Uh, as soon as I was uh, allowed to sort of work uh, in the U.S., I went ahead and uh, thanks to thanks to artist tests, essentially got a job in the industry without any prior experience whatsoever. So I found myself uh, the youngest uh, person at Naughty Dog uh, making the first Uncharted game. Uh, and it, the rest is just, I guess, me going from game to game and eventually uh, now working on uh, Uncharted PlayStation 4, and that's all I can say about that. <laughs> Name dropping you. <laughs> no, and seriously, I mean, that, that is quite something, because uh, to end up working in the video game industry is not particularly easy these days, And but to end up working in a major title, that is quite impressive. What, what, what I, impressed them I, from about you? Uh, so I, I guess that I missed out one little part of this journey, which was after working on websites, I uh, started making 3D models for okay. uh, to sell on the internet. Um, so by the time, uh, like I said, we, we got a, a green card so I could work finally. Um, I had this portfolio of hundreds of like very professionally packaged because I had they had to be professionally packaged to sell uh, models for use in all sorts of different kind of mediums. Um, so I'd, I'd spent a long time kind of honing those skills specifically with actual revenue in mind. And then when I applied, they were like, "Okay, that's an interesting portfolio. <laughs> we haven't quite seen that one before." Uh, and uh, here's the test, which is just this vast epic uh like 80 hour kind of or gauntlet um that i spent an entire two weeks straight without sleeping on and apparently that worked <laughs> well, well 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 done you and uh, from there to creating well to to starting on on this um forge minis so hero forge how, oh yeah how... if you want to if you want to take the story all the way um which i guess well makes might sense. as well uh, yeah yeah i <laughs> So at Naughty Dog, I've, I've, I do deal with a lot of the technical aspects. So a lot of our pipeline stuff um, and from characters to backgrounds. Uh, and a lot of what Hero Forge is about is pipeline. Um, it, it's, it's getting through a lot of different mediums. Um, and it's also about websites. So I, I kind of it took a combination of the, my work uh, with the character part systems and um, pipelines in, uh, in Uncharted, uh, my previous web design background, um, 
and it, it was just a beautiful intersection of all of them actually just just absurdly so um that i've been able to uh, we've got like a, we've got a, a big team with a lot of really amazing amazing people on it um but i've been able to kind of pick up any aspect of that that, that i've needed so it's I've been in a good place to to shepherd this into existence <laughs> Okay, so so you, you guys decided to come together and, and create um, Hero Forge minis. What was the process to actually that that's what was the process that's taken you from uh, this is what I want to do to actually this is what we need to do in order to to make this a reality. Well, originally, this this was something that we went looking for. We we sort of assumed that something like this would exist, and we both independently ended up seeking it out. And only when we you know, came together a couple weeks later and both mentioned that we looked for this sort of service and found out it didn't exist, uh, we just decided we'd make it. We very luckily had a lot of the skills to do it. So, And, you know, we have knew some amazing people who would be able to help us along the way, so... So far, what's been the most challenging aspect of starting the project? Avoiding talking about it in a hot tub, <laughs> in the hot tub. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably <laughs> we we've, we've started to call it our boardroom. It's destroyed any relaxation part in the hot tub. We gotta, <laughs> gotta not do that. Yeah, conversations about Hero Forge are consuming both of our lives at all times. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and let's let's answer that. I guess seriously though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that uh, having suddenly realizing that I have two jobs now for me mm. is probably uh, is probably the hardest part. Like I, I'm a full-time art, technical art director at Naughty Dog, um, and I, we sort of did a lot of this over Christmas break um, when zim- things seemed fine, and then now suddenly the reality of of having so much to juggle is is. Uh, it's on my head, but uh, and definitely not an insurmountable amount. We have a we have a lot of team members, and we can kind of distribute the the work here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of my experience that I had with working in the three D industry, um, one of the things that really surprised me is that you guys are planning on creating the models and delivering the visuals uh, over the net. Mm-hmm. What kind of technology have you guys gone for that will be stable enough for long enough? For you to be able to have a a product that will be usable for years to come, uh, Tegan, you, uh, know, you know a little bit more about WebGL than me, so yeah, sure, sure. I, as as Josh says, I, WebGL is the standard that only came about within the last year, uh, and it's a it's a basically a, a standard that lets your web browser use your computer's GPU uh, for mm-hmm. graphics and. That's that's a beautiful thing. It's it's really about time that we got something along those lines because yeah, yeah. Uh, now across all browsers you can get 3D without any plugins, uh, which is which is magnificent. I, I honestly, I'm surprised we've seen so little of it. But things tend to go very slowly on the web because no one wants to make content for something that only uh, even 90% of their audience can mm-hmm. can use. Um, so we're using WebGL, uh, and that is to say that you know you you'll need somewhat of a, a modern browser, um, at least right now, um, and somewhat of a graphics card to see it. Um, but I expect uh, that a large, very very large percentage of our audience um, is going to be equipped with those things. Um, 
the the table the, the the crowd we're kind of appealing to i think tends to to at least update their browsers uh, and, and if not be quite on the cutting edge of, of all things <laughs> um is it polygon based the, the the representation on the screen or, or is it curves based uh, it's uh, it's polygon based. I mean, all modern rendering is is polygon based um, in its final form, at least. Uh, mm. Even if the the data can be uh, stored in different ways, um, we I mean, we're, it's we've considered um, a, f a few other formats in, in in the sense that we we might like use subds to display it. So we're, we're right. d downloading simpler, uh, lower resolution models and displaying higher resolution ones. Um, because we, we're going to have to deal with quite a few challenges uh, when it comes to loading the amount of data we have. Like we, we want you to be able to click on a part and, and switch to it almost instantly, uh, if not instantly. And uh, that's it's going to be a challenge. Um, certainly can't load all the parts at once and certainly can't um, uh, get that much data across without some consideration for it. So what are the things that you guys are going to have to leave behind for the time being that you would like to have in, in future browser updates? Because I can imagine things now that you want to do that the browsers just cannot deal with, but in, say, a year or two years' time, you should be fine. What sort of things do you have to leave behind? Uh, that's, a, that's actually a good question. I mean, WebGL is, is kind of in its infancy, for sure. Mm. It's a little bit sort of like the Wild West of game engines. There hasn't been a, a kind of a unifying one. Uh, there's a couple of standout ones, like 3.js is, uh, is particularly well made. But uh, because we're using WebGL to, to display this, and, and what we're actually displaying is black and white. I mean, it's, it's grayscale. Um, we're not having to kind of rely on a lot of advanced uh, rendering. Um, although we hope to get some of that in, we hope to kind of give you screen space, ambient occlusion, and uh, depth of field, really quality anti-aliasing. Because of the kind of limitations, um, we, we're going to be able to get away with everything we want, I think, um, okay. right, right away, which is cool. Uh, and, but it, part of it is just because now we have a web a standard for accessing the graphics card, and we can access it in so many different ways already that it's you know, just by default, like uh, web, uh, OpenGL, which kind of evolved uh, into uh, WebGL, um, in this case, just already came with so many features. Right. The models that you guys are going to be displaying at the moment, do they have any kind of uh, limitation in terms of the number of parts that you can use or the, the amount of detail that you can add to the 3D model itself? Uh, well, like I was saying, uh, the amount of data that we're going to be kind of transferring uh, is, is of a concern. Uh, and then I suppose uh, the number of polygons on screen, if you've got a particularly bad graphics card, you're going to, I mean, even, even with the simplest stuff we can show, it's going to be at a low frame rate but it, that's if you play games at all it'll you'll be fine you'll be totally okay. fine it's 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 just as smooth and streamlined as as most game engines out there um so i uh, at the same time though there's going to be detail i think that you probably won't see in a browser that then uh, if you say ordered one of the maybe the larger minis you probably would see in real life like we're not necessarily going to use the same resolution to display uh, on screen as we are uh, printing it. Uh, and that might just be purely because we want to load it faster um, and just give you a smoother experience. And then mm. you'll, the, the detail will always be there anyway when we, uh, when we ship it off to 3D print. 
Okay. Let's talk about the 3D printing process itself then. Um, what kind of equipment do you guys have in order to meet the on supply with all the demand that you're having at the moment with the Kickstarter? Uh, we're actually partnering with um, Shapeways. Uh, they recently released this developer API, which lets websites, and there's, there's a few that take advantage of this already, that lets websites kind of act as 3D design portals. And then mm -hmm. seamlessly through them, they do the 3D printing and shipping. Um, so that's a problem that kind of we very conveniently get to get to shuffle out from under um, and leave it to to a big name in the industry who's you know already got that on lock. So, so you're not going to be doing the, the the 3D printing in house. That's right. That's right. And that works um, really really well for us. I mean, I mean, we oh, want yeah. to concentrate on making. The, the web UI and, and what our product is. I mean, our product isn't 3D printing. We'll, we'll leave that to 3D printers who are good at that. <laughs> and what's been the, the, the selection process until you found a company that you felt comfortable with to handle everything? Because, I mean, even if we just look at the Kickstarter itself, mm -hmm. you're going to have to produce a huge amount of minis there. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, th there's a couple of interesting things there. Uh, one, I mean, we sent off a lot of a lot of test minis. We're just kind of littering the house at this point. Actually, we should <laughs> probably figure out what to do with that. Um, but uh, two, I, this this is a very kind of flexible thing for us. Um, in theory, we could even send things off to multiple companies. As you know, 3D printing technology is going to evolve, even Shapeways, uh, we can't uh, kind of predict the quality improvements we'll get over the next half year or even until we launch. It's kind of one of the things we almost didn't even have to, to lock down right. at this point. As long as we knew that there were companies out there, multiples, that, that could produce the quality we needed um that that's enough to 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 kind of do this confidently but uh at the same time shapeways because of the api because have how how user friendly they've been and, yeah, and so how they've kind of Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so developer friendly as well, and how they position position themselves kind of as uh, is one of the the leading forces in three D printing, uh, especially mass three D printing, three D printing a lot mm. of things. They seem like they're kind of the perfect uh, kind of bet. That sounds very good because, to be honest with you guys, it's it's the one thing that really concerned me at the time when I was looking at this because I mean I don't know how many backers you have at the moment with uh, asking for for minis, but mm -hmm. you have a huge amount. Uh, of, of backers, you have well, over 2,000. Uh, this thing has gone up five or $600 in the time that we've been doing this interview um, <laughs> already. Uh, and even if just every backer has ordered one of those minis, you're going to have to print a lot of stuff. Shapeways is going to have to print a lot of stuff. And I'm sure I expect they're quite happy about the potential of of this much business they they print things in a very very kind of clever way and it's, it's as far as i know i'm not I'm not speaking for them i wish i wish we had someone on on the line that we could talk to but i uh, uh, they print things um kind of in groups um mm -hmm. so they might actually be able to in theory i think this the, given the size of the blocks they kind of print at the same time uh in this uh water soluble solution and then they kind of wash away the whole support structure given the size of that i think you'd probably print every single one of our minis in one batch <laughs> <laughs> that would be really cool to see actually yeah. <laughs> uh, right Let, let's talk in that case about content how many minis will you have available when on, on launching, basically? 
Well, we're, we're, I mean, technically we can already, we have enough parts that if we were to, you know, just randomize them, we'd produce millions of different combinations. Mm-hmm. I think I did the math and, and we have more than 4 billion minis. Is that tall? <laughs> you want more? Yeah. We, then we will have it. more. <laughs> by, by the time we actually launch, we'll have just an absurd number of combinations, but like Josh was saying, hey, you know, it's about the meaningful number of combinations. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, yeah. We hope to have a lot of those too. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also got yourself surrounded, um, and, and this is by taking a look at your Kickstarter page. Um, you've got yourself surrounded by an absolutely tremendous team of artists. Where did you get them from? Yeah, the majority of our group actually was already kind of involved in our social group, and some of them we we even actively played Dungeons and Dragons with. So you know, when we came to them with this idea, they were very clearly ready and interested because um, you know we had just been playing a, a campaign. So okay. yeah, yeah, they were all right at hand. It was kind of uh, a product of uh, having a kind of a large social group, uh, kind of a regular social group who, who gamed a lot. Um, we we do something called game night, no surprise there, where basically every week we have a bunch of people over and we play games. That isn't to say that it's always typical games, we, you know, that ranges quite extensively from a lot of different sort of fun activities, but uh, we knew every one of the, our team actually through these events that we would hold. And uh, it, it kind of very naturally progressed to when we were looking for people. It was like, who do we know that, that could work on this kind of stuff? And, and it just, we're in Los Angeles. We uh, know a lot of artists who know a lot of artists who bring a lot of artists. So th- this kind of snowballed artist effect happened in our social group. Um, but then when it came time to kind of call on it for talent, we, we were just kind of amazed that, that we had all the pieces kind of around us that 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 close like these were good friends we knew so i, I think that was a powerful part of, of creating this is that we were all good friends mm-hmm. let's hope we stay that way i, I hear that <laughs> hear this kind of thing and tear friends apart <laughs> no let's, let's hope not um <laughs> in in terms of the creation of the the artistry who is doing the overall art direction and, and design kind of leadership to the sort of figures that you guys are going to have uh, on launch I guess I'd, it's both Josh and I um, have had a lot of kind of uh, back and forth input in terms of like just as as an example, uh, getting the proportions uh, to uh, to be kind of appropriate for miniatures. Uh, something very strange happens when you scale something down to that small, uh, and that's the the ever the head looks just tiny like you can't see any of the detail there because that's that's kind of where you focus on and where we as human beings try to pick up the most emotion from so that just as an example uh making the head larger and actually changing a kind of a whole host of other uh proportions of, of things we've had to kind of corral although the, the the downside to that is then when you print out a six inch figure the head looks way too big so we're gonna have to figure <laughs> out what we're gonna do there <laughs> yeah it's funny yeah the smaller it is the less cartoony that looks hmm. How are you making sure that all your minis are going to be um, free from liabilities in the sense of no one being able to come to you and say, well, this is my mini and uh, it looks too much like the, the, this illustration that I have for this game or it looks too much like this sort of um, a space marine that I have in my collection. How are you going to avoid that sort of copyright pitfalls? I want to get to that question, but first I do want to just mention that, that although like we've been uh, 
giving a lot of feedback on the kind of the whole artistic process and i'm used to doing that a lot at work especially mm-hmm. uh, the the real kind of the art comes from our concept artists uh molly and nicole who just done a beautiful job on fantasy and they've they love fantasy and they've they've been doing it for a long time and of course uh, uh margaret's uh, interpretation of that into 3d and modeling it like they're, they're they're the real ones to credit for the art here i, just, I didn't want to avoid mentioning that <laughs> uh but to your to your original question <laughs> i think i jokingly said yeah we're gonna we could get a little bit sued <laughs> <laughs> uh, at some point. Um, s- probably somewhere there'll be some combination of parts that sort of looks similar. Looks, yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> I, I think I, you know more about the the City of Heroes story than I do, Josh. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, the uh, the MMORPG City of Heroes got brought to court by Marvel a while back because they realized you could make a, a guy that looks an awful lot like Wolverine, and they, they they caught some flack for that, and it ended up being fine. It, it was um, uh, they yeah, City of Heroes was allowed to continue doing what they were doing. Marvel just kind of had to aggressively protect its properties. Um, mm-hmm. So even though they kind of went in knowing it wasn't going to work out, they, uh, they kind of had they felt obligated to do it. But I mean, we're we're very clearly going to steer clear of anything that might be might be even close to copyright infringement. So you're not going to see the imperial symbol on anything or anything like that. And then when it comes to Wolverine's claws, we'll just offer the two claws <laughs> instead of three. We'll be we'll be fine. Or perhaps five claws. Yeah, <laughs> bristling with them. Yeah. Now that that is very good and proper, but I mean the the problem with um with that sort of um intellectual property protection sort of thing is that companies they have to be seen as being protective, and therefore that's why companies like Marvel sue when they know they don't really have a chance of winning. But if they don't, then that 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 protection can be questioned because they are not doing enough. That could very easily happen to to you guys. I mean, obviously not with um, with, with fantasy. It's not that easy. But with science fiction models and with vehicle models, exactly that sort of stuff. Are you are you taking any specific precautions to actually avoid that? Because as you were mentioning earlier, if if you can make an awful lot of combinations with with the parts that you already have. How are you limiting the number of combinations so people cannot make a combination that looks like somebody that could get you into trouble? <laughs> I get, oh, man, now, now you got us real worried. <laughs> oh, um, I, for one, uh, all of our uh, kind of pieces are going to be um, going to come from us. We're going to concept them. We're going to create them. Um, so they'll be unique in that sense. Uh, there's going to be, I'm sure, the odd, case where you can kind of make something that's kind of like something else but i think any anyone at that point and we're not going to go as far as to let you do kind of free blades coming out of your hands that that's like that's wolverine's trademark that's like that's his thing um we're gonna at least try to avoid that kind of thing i of course though some degree of that is going to be unavoidable given the flexibility we're going to give users but yeah all our parts will be unique and uh uh, hopefully, I, you know, if, if someone has to sort of just by default defend something they've got, then then hopefully we'll we can just basically remove those parts or all that specific combination. We may even be able to lock. I like the just idea. The exact combination that people yeah, would use yeah. to yeah, make something that looks like that. You build up your Wolverine, and it says, uh, "I'm sorry, this is 
looks too much like Wolverine and it doesn't <laughs> let you do that. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's actually fair enough. Um, let's talk a little bit about the pledges. Some people have complained, uh, from my point of view, rather silly, uh, but some people have complained that to get one mini is, is, a, is a huge amount of money to, to the inverse, uh, you know, to, to get $35 or more for one mini. Uh, what's your pricing strategy uh, currently, because I can imagine it will change after the, the, the uh, after the Kickstarter. But what's been the the pledge levels strategy to to set up the prices? Well, something important to remember is that uh, you, you're obligated to include mm-hmm. shipping in all of the pledge costs. So in actuality, it, you know, with the range of materials, we're looking at, at many somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty five, roughly, for for our Kickstarter. Um, and while that may change in the future. Uh, I, we feel like that's a pretty a pretty reasonable amount to ask given given what we're bringing to the table. I mean, I, I compared it before to using Wizards of the Coast dungeon tiles versus you know the Dwarven Forge 3D prop scenery. You know, there's there's a people I think are willing to to really capture their vision and really bring you know a, a vivid image to the table. They're pretty they're pretty willing to go the extra mile for that. Um, and so you know we're catering to a very specific crowd. We're catering to people who who do want something very particular, and they want you know someone to build that for them. So we're 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 happy to charge a small amount of a premium for that. Um, from the money you get from the Kickstarter, how much money is it going to go into the development of the the website itself, and how much is it for the production in, in terms of percentages? Uh, well, I guess first uh, a very small percentage of the Kickstarter actually goes towards either of those things, just because of uh, our manufacturing costs and the percentages that Kickstarter takes and such. Uh, it, we're, uh, the most goes to manufacturing. Um, 3D printing at the resolution we're printing at is still quite expensive, and and that's probably why this was one of the few kind of I guess services that could take off because we're creating just this one mini for someone this this perfect mini that they could use for like a whole campaign people mm-hmm. spend years of their lives in these campaigns so it's kind of the only the only way that it can really make sense to spend that much uh, on on a mini is if you're that invested i think like wargaming minis are less than a dollar each when you're talking about armies of stuff and we just can't we're not on the sort of the same page as that um I'm sorry. Was it? I think I missed the original question somewhat. No, that's, no, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I don't believe the price that you guys are asking for is at all, or all that excessive. Because as you say, you know, if I'm going to play my Rise of the Room Lords campaign and I'm going to have one or two characters throughout the whole campaign, then and that's going to last a year. Then hey, getting one or two minutes a year, which are exactly the kind of minutes I want, that's actually pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and your original question was how much of it goes towards uh, web development costs and part costs. Uh, and I, I think a lot of that depends on how many of our uh, stretch goals we reach. Uh, if we reach a significant number of them, uh, we'll have a lot of genres that, that we're going to have to cover and a larger percent will end up going towards uh, critting pieces. Uh, but that's okay because once you've kind of got the system in place, once you've got the... Uh, the, the web side of things and the um, kind of the pipeline side of things in place, you can just keep adding and adding and adding mm. content um, without any more development costs. So it works quite okay. well for us. <laughs> right. So now that the Kickstarter has succeeded, you, you guys have funded, this is going to go through. Are you planning on making this your full-time job? <laughs> I, uh, 
at, at the moment, I'm technically the the only guy working full time on this. Um, yeah, there, most of our other team members are you know doing freelance work as well, uh, things like that. And I think I don't want to speak for Tegan, but yeah, he's definitely <laughs> enjoying his job and planning on keeping it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I love Naughty Dog, and I I can't give Naughty Dog up so quickly. Um, that's for sure. I. It's it's one of those like I, I kind of dawned on me at the beginning of the year that I, when the Kickstarter started to do well that I just signed up for two jobs, um, but nothing that the, a a fantastic team can compensate for. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough indeed. So what plans do you have for the company itself? I mean, for example, people were asking, are you going to be accepting uh, models that people will send you, so you can grow your library of models with creations from the public, basically. It's funny. We've seen um, quite a few kind of other similar products to, to this, um, or, or these ideas out there that, that quite often do evolve around uh, submissions from the public. Um, and that's kind of a really nice idea in, in theory. But in, in practice, you, you need that kind of that core system in place. You need that that core set of art that's that's really good not to say that the public wouldn't produce that but uh you can't rely on that as the source there's a whole uh there's a whole rigging system you need to develop uh in-house with your own art before you can even start thinking about public submissions so our plan has been from the beginning to create like a product that people can begin using immediately uh that has just that has all the art in it uh, that's that's working perfectly, and then potentially down the line, uh, open up to allowing user submissions. Um, there's a lot of things to sort of to figure out internally. Okay. First. <laughs> um, if companies wanted to have special minis uh, featured, you know, say that I don't know somebody like Paizo decided that they want to have some minis specifically made with and for your system, is that something that you guys will be open to in the future? We've thought about that before, about uh, about licensed additions to our part system, um, and that that's a neat idea, and it's something that you know we'll definitely consider. But like, like you said, at the moment we're kind of keeping our heads down and and staying hyper focused on just building that core set. And once we get the framework in place, you know we can easily think about expanding. But yeah, at the moment we've kind of intentionally put blinders on to just focus on the parts mm -hmm. that we're going to produce. But that's definitely a, you know a, an avenue that we're we'd be interested in down the road for sure. Yeah, we'd love to work with some of the other uh, tabletop RPGs out there to get a kind of a one-to-one -one correlation between uh, the armor and weapons and items available in the RPG and our uh, and our characters. That that would be just awesome, and I think yeah. awesome for the players too, because they could be like, "Oh, my character sheet, my uh, wizard has a wand that looks like this, and that that does this, and oh, that that exact wand exists in this character creator too." That you don't, you don't always be able to plug your character sheet in and see your character to begin with. Be, I think that'd be really special. That would be powerful. I mean, yeah. I, I, the reason I was asking that is because I can imagine actually Kickstarter projects themselves coming out from companies to develop, you know, to gather the money in order to be able to develop the minis to use with your system, um, which I think would be a really neat <laughs> little thing to do. <laughs> Man, if, yeah, it would that would be, be great. Yeah, we'd be honored <laughs> if we spawned other Kickstarters. Um, I, I think that the like the way we'd probably do it, uh, just because we've had to kind of gather the talent to make this happen, um, we would 
probably work with uh, whoever's kind of willing to make this happen um, and actually do a lot of the kind of the, the, the work ourselves. Like we would uh, create the create the pieces from their concept art, from their descriptions, uh, and, and we'll have probably that kind of relationship as opposed to uh, having kind of this uh, split workforce where they're making models and we're putting them into okay. our system. That makes so, sense. Uh, at least at first, we'll we'll see we'll see where that kind of settles, and and, and if anyone even has that kind of interest, uh, we hope for that'll be really cool. <laughs> and lastly, to to wrap it up a little bit, outside the United States, are you guys gonna have uh, any companies in Europe or Asia, someplace like that, that we can get the parts without having to pay the extortionate import duties? <laughs> well, that's I guess the beautiful thing about three D printing uh, is that you can you can purchase it. You can you can manufacture it anywhere, uh, and there are 3D printing firms popping up in in all those countries. Um, so it, it very well might be that to Europe we uh, go to a different company, and to the US we go to to uh, a different one. Uh, we have those options. That's uh, and and we'll kind of evaluate them the closer and closer we get to launch. Um, uh, but for now, we know that we have an option that works. Even though, yeah, Europe unfortunately high shipping costs. Mm. Um, we had to kind of uh, make sure that shipping costs didn't ruin mm. us on that one, uh, just because uh, some of the the companies that cost uh, countries that cost the most to ship to. If, if you got a lot of orders from them, you could actually make a loss. It could be very bad. But yeah, we we really hope to uh, utilize 3D printing all over the world to avoid shipping high shipping costs for yeah, I mean, to, to be honest with you i mean the thing that worries me the most is not just the shipping costs which if i like something i'm quite happy to pay for it but as soon as they hit the shores in the uk for example uh we get hit with a 20 percent uh, tax uh, on top of whatever it is that the co the, the mini would be so if i get oh, exactly uh, so something that would cost me a hundred dollars in kickstarter uh, it would end up costing me 120, 136 uh, at the end of the whole thing. Mm. Well, uh, well, I, I guess in, hopefully one day then we'll we'll find a 3D printer in the UK that that uh, can can service that area. I'll be honest, though, I think that the, the not just cost is is a big factor here. I could imagine the turnaround time on mm. this kind of thing is. Uh, a really big factor like you're going to have rpg players who have that they've got their mini it's perfect awesome it's exactly everything they wanted they start playing and then they acquire a new awesome sword <laughs> and they're like shit <laughs> <laughs> um and and then if the the turnaround time if the ship from overseas uh, or even if the 3d printing process takes too long by the time they get the next mini they'll have already upgraded something else and, and then we want to cater to some people who are hardcore enough that they want to kind of they want to have their mini evolve with their, their character. And, and maybe you won't be upgrading quite that often, but in the course of a campaign, uh, going from kind of rags to riches, if you will, I'm sure there'll be some people who want like that, that initial young fledgling elf character and, and then that, that, that final kind of badass god of an elf character in the end. <laughs> right, guys, thank you very, very much for being with me today. Um, I, you have Our no project. idea, seriously, how thrilled I am that the project is doing so well and you guys are doing so, so well because this this is something that I've been looking forward to seeing done for years and years and years. 
So I, I can't wait to see what you guys do in the future. It's extremely exciting and many congratulations for an extremely successful Kickstarter. Well, thank, thank you so much, you. Paco. Yeah, thank you, Paco. So much appreciation uh, to all of our fans, everyone who's who's kind of has the same sentiment as you, who wants to see this service succeed. Uh, we want to see it succeed just as badly. We're so excited about every one of the possibilities. It's one of those things that's just a bottomless pit mm. of possibilities. Uh, and and we, we love that. It's super exciting. Thank you for listening. Hosting and production for this podcast have been by Paco Garcia and the music's been composed by Kev Atzet. We would love to hear from you. Feedback and your questions are always welcome and you can email us at podcast.gmsmagazine.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at gmsmagazine. And we are also on Facebook and Google+. I'm very, very happy to talk to you. Remember to subscribe to the GMS Magazine podcast channels in iTunes and give us a review or two and a rating, please. And it's truly appreciated if you do. For more quality shows, remember to listen to other rooms like the RPG Room, the Interview Room and the Board Game Room and more rooms that might be coming very soon indeed. But, friends, until the next time, let the games continue.